This is the Redemption Church Podcast. For a list of messages, events, and more, please visit experienceredemption.com. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here is today's message. Morning. I probably say this a lot, but these are two of my favorite weeks of the year. Uh, we're in uh, what we call, it's a pre-series, it's like a, a little series that sets up our big push series, and it's a way to get us ready as a congregation for the series that's coming, uh, but we do it in such a way that if you, the people who show up next week, uh, you know, they didn't like miss anything. And so uh, what we're doing in this pre-series, we're calling it the, the Sins of a Nation, and it's, uh, it's a brief study, very brief, of Isaiah 58, and uh, in our study of Isaiah 58, it, it's drawing us back to Je- Jeremiah 5. Uh, which is setting us up for our study of Isaiah 59, which is our big push series. Uh, our series is based on Isaiah 59:14. Uh, part of Isaiah 59:14 says this: "Truth has stumbled in the public squares," and it certainly has. And uh, but what happens before Isaiah 59, and how the nation of Israel arrived at Isaiah 59, and how any subsequent nation arrives in a Isaiah 59 state, is what happens in Isaiah 58, which is what. I preached on last week, and that is the presence of a hypocritical nation. And last week I talked to talked through, uh, preached through the 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 presence of a hypocritical nation. And uh, how is it that there's a time in our nation when uh, 60 to 70 percent of people professed faith in Christ, when more than half the people were in church on a Sunday morning, uh, that our nation moved uh, from where it was to where we are? Well, the presence of hypocrisy. I'm not talking about genuine followers of Christ who might have a little bit of sin in their life. That, of course, is a problem. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. But I'm talking about the state of a nation that professes Christ, where 70 people would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, uh, but, but sexual and financial sin is rampant, and apathy and worldliness is, uh, is everywhere. And, and what we talked about last week is uh, it doesn't start with a nation, uh, it doesn't even start with the church, it starts with individuals. And individual sin leads to church sin, which leads to national sin. And that's what we've seen, uh, of course, throughout all of human history. It's what we've seen in the last 50, 60, 70 years here in our nation. Now, today, the question I want to ask is, is this. Well, does that have any impact? Is there any effect of sin? And there's two lies and a truth. We're, We're practicing for next week. Here are two lies. Lie number one is this. Sin only affects me. My sin only affects me. Lie number two. Because of grace, sin no longer has an effect. Because of grace, sin no longer has an effect. Like grace just covers all of the ramifications of sin. Now, let me clarify. Of course, grace covers our spiritual penalty, right? Uh, We don't have to earn our salvation back, uh, but the presence of grace does not negate the ramifications of sin. Here's the truth. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences, and it has consequences personally, corporately, as a church, and nationally. And so this morning, uh, that's our premise. Uh, As we get started this morning, uh, we're going to move our way even further back into the Old Testament. We're in Jeremiah chapter 5. I've read through the verses. I want to just kind of preach through them uh, this morning. Uh, Last week, uh, we started off in Isaiah 58, and it it starts like this. Cry aloud 
Do not hold back. And I said, wow, what great encouragement for me as a preacher, right? Like, do not hold back. And I made a joke that I was going to make a sign that says, do not hold back, and I was going to slap it uh, when I came out every week. Well, somebody actually made a sign that says, do not hold back, and now it's sitting back there. So uh, that's our new, our new philosophy here when it comes to preaching. Uh, and like I always say, if you don't like it, there's a lot of other churches, right? Do not hold back. Today, though, this is a new one. Run to and fro. Run to and fro, which is kind of what I do on stage anyway. The idea of running to and fro. See, what's happening here is this. Jeremiah is trying to, just like Isaiah was doing when he was saying, cry aloud, don't hold back, preacher, preach, preacher, give the truth, prophet, say what needs to be said. Here, what Jeremiah is saying is this, Christian, church, individual, have a sense of urgency about you. He's saying this, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Where are we supposed to do this? We're supposed to do this out in the open. We're supposed to have a sense of urgency out in the public square. Have a sense of urgency in the capital, right in the center of it all. It doesn't say run to and fro out in the the rural areas. Uh, where nobody is. Run to and fro in the privacy of your own home. Uh, And I would say this, sadly, that much of the state of the American church, instead of running to and fro in the streets of Jerusalem, is instead walking asleep, or instead of going to and fro, it says searching the squares, the different public squares. It's a direct tie here to Isaiah 59, which has no truth in the public squares. And instead of running to and fro in the public squares, much of the body of Christ is being told to do this. No, no, no. Just walk. Don't be an alarmist. Right? Everything's fine. Don't worry. And if you are going to have a sense of urgency, Christians and the church are only allowed to have a sense of urgency in one square, and that is in the church. And the church's only uh, permission or platform is simply to talk about salvation, heaven and hell. That's it. And the church is not allowed to have a voice outside of its uh, uh, little narrow square of uh, talking about heaven and hell and, uh, and are you in or are you out. Now, do not get me wrong. Heaven and hell, very important conversation. Salvation, in very, uh, very important conversation. The church is, of course, the pillar and the buttress of the truth to proclaim the message of eternal salvation and our need for that. But the church is not relegated to a simple one square. And the church is not relegated to simply staying in the lane of what happens in its buildings, simply just professing salvation or not. No, no, no. The encouragement here is what? Run to and fro. To have a sense of urgency. And one of the things I love about y'all people, right, uh, and us here, I, I do think that you guys have a sense of urgency. We are looking out at the world saying, no, maybe we should have a sense of urgency right now in the things that we are saying. And this, I think, is an instruction of the Lord to run to and fro, to move from square to square, which means a, a sphere of circular influence, right, sphere of influence in our society to move into those. And it's going to tell us what we do when we get there. but to evaluate and say, is there truth in this square? 
And we're supposed to go look and see if there is truth in that square. And we're supposed to do it with a sense of urgency, with something that's like compelling us to move. Now, one of the reasons uh, right now, I think there's a couple of reasons uh, that we're not running with the sense of urgency that we need to as a body of Christ. I'm talking about a collective body of Christ. Uh, One of the reasons I think is this. I do think that we're in this weird era right now, and maybe this has been forever, uh, but it seems really prevalent right now, where we allow the naive to drive the narrative. We allow the naive to drive the narrative. And uh, there's a couple of ways that we become naive. One way is we're so like narrow-minded or we're so like closed off. I'll hit this a little bit more later. And you might say, well, that's more like ignorant, right? You're just like keeping your eyes sheltered. Uh, But another way that we're naive is we simply um, haven't been around long enough or seen long enough. And I see a grave danger. Here's one of the grave dangers I have seen, and that is this, uh, that, that younger generations right now a lot of times get to drive the narrative of what the church should be about. Young generations, young people, I mean, like, I mean, I'm 37, right? But I mean, like, like, like younger than me, like, like teenagers or early 20s. And in this, like, desire to satisfy the youth, we allow youth to drive the narrative of what church is supposed to be like. And so you have churches that are like, oh, man, all of the young people, uh, they, they don't like that the church is getting too political. Uh, they don't like that the church is uh, being so bold right now. They don't like that the church isn't being nice enough to people who don't agree. And I get it. Young people are surrounded with a post-Christian culture that, by the way, who gave it to them? Y'all, us, we did, right? And I get that those young people are, uh, they're involved in that. But then what happens is this, we allow that naivete to drive the narrative of the body of Christ and to get weak instead of strong. And here's my encouragement, by the way, to you young people, because that temptation will come to you, right? And I'm not just talking about early teens, and this I think is a 20 and a 30-something problem. Um, But let me just say something to this. Maybe young people... Maybe your entire four years as an adult isn't quite enough time to evaluate the reality of the world that you live in. And maybe some people older than you who have been around long enough can see a decay of culture and a decay of the church with a much longer perspective than you who raise their hand and go, no, now is exactly the time for us to be running to and fro. Now is exactly the time for us to be raising the alarm. And the body of Christ needs to be aware and to not be driven by trying to satisfy the appeals of youth. We need the wisdom of decades of experience looking in and saying, no, we've got a problem here, and we need to work at it. We need to work at it. And so we can't let that stop us from doing exactly what he's talking about here, running to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. I love the picture here. You you got the picture of Jeremiah saying, Christian, go and run around, look around, see what's going on, peek your head in there and go, is there truth over here? Look, is there truth over there? Have a sense of urgency about it. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. And when you're doing it, what are you supposed to do? Look and take note. 
Now, what's the opposite of looking and taking note? The opposite of looking and taking note is close your eyes or forget. This is another temptation. And um, I, I believe that there's a, a, a sadly a large portion of the church right now that instead of running to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, instead of running to and fro and evaluating what's actually going on in culture, uh, instead of doing that, are closing themselves off, distancing themselves from the actual problems of the reality of our world, closing themselves off, right? And they're not looking. And I think Jeremiah is giving us a clear instruction here. We need to look and we need to evaluate and we need to see what's actually happening. And then when we do it, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to take note. Take note. In other words, we're supposed to remember. Because one of the tactics of the enemy is what? He, uh, he gets us to forget the ground that he's already taken because he shows us a new fancy hill that he wants to take. I took some notes. Literally. These are just headlines. I just saved them on my iPad. Let me read some of the notes, okay? When I say look and take note, let me, let me read. These are recent headlines. And this is just in like the last three weeks. Pop star falls to his knees and apologizes for saying that boys are boys and girls are girls. Another note. New Jersey Education Board removes female and male from equity policy despite parents' protests. Another note, nation's biggest teachers union coached teachers to inject gender identity into curricula. Another note, federal court in Maryland says parents don't have a, quote, fundamental right, end quote, to opt kids out of radical gender theory curricula. Last note, I'm going to have to not say one word in here. A male prisoner who murdered a baby wants a, it involves a sex change. The ACLU wants taxpayers to pay for it. Okay, those are just some of my notes. You probably have your own. And what the enemy loves to do is he loves to get us to forget or to close off. And then the enemy also loves to do is he loves to distract us with something new. And so something else pops up and all of a sudden all of the attention of the world goes, woo, right? And starts looking over there. And meanwhile, the enemy is still over here just chipping away, chipping away, taking ground, taking ground. And when we're distracted and we think the line is over there, all of a sudden the line has moved over here. I watch old movies with my daughter. Um, mostly because they're pretty good movies and uh, because they're PW, right? Pre-woke. And so we go back and, uh, and we watch this. And so we watched The Parent Trap, which came out in 1998. And for some some of you are like, no, they came out in 1961. That one was horrible, okay? <laughs> so we went back. We watched the 1998 version. And I, I'm watching it. And I was honestly, um, other than the fact that I cry, I don't know why I cry every time I watch it, Okay. Yeah, I, don't, I know I don't have to admit it out loud, but I did. Okay. Um, I was struck by how conservative that movie is by today's standards. Prude almost by today's standards. Their respect for marriage in that movie is mind-blowing. I mean, this is starring Lindsay Lohan. 1998, okay? Why? What happened? Well, we got distracted, and what happened? Just kept moving the line, moving the line, moving the line, moving the line. Like the 2030 version of Parent Trap, who knows what that's going to look like. 
right? Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Uh, uh, Live in reality. Live in the reality of what's actually going on. Don't isolate yourself. Don't try to close yourself off, right? Don't try to just pretend like everything's going to be fine, church. Look and take note. Search her squares. Search her public squares. That's the, 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 the idea of it. Search her public squares, right? And to see what? To see if you can find a man, like one like, can you find one person in that square? Can you find, like, like one person on TV that you trust? Can you find, like, like one state college that hasn't gone off the, the deep end, right? Can you find, like, one denomination that's still holding the line of standard truth? Can you find one? Remember, by the way, in the time of uh, when Abraham was arguing, uh, trying to protect Sodom and Gomorrah, he got, got all the way down to five. He's like, if we can find five, like, here and this, he's like, can you find one? Now, I think it's a little bit of hyperbole here that Jeremiah is using. But he's saying, go look and see, can you find one, one who does justice, one who seeks truth? And I'll say this, by the way, uh, where you can't find one, we need people to be the one. Where, where you can't find one, you be the one. You uh, allow, allow God to change you in such a way uh, that you become one of those people, that you are the one in your school. You are that teacher in that school that's holding the line. You are the person uh, in your field uh, that has not abandoned both justice and truth. Justice and truth. He says, uh, uh, search and look and see if you can find just one. And I'll tell you what I do love about this body of Christ right here. I believe that we just decided that we were going to be one uh, and that we're not going to budge from being one, right? Uh, That we're going to be one. We're going to stand for truth. We're going to stand for justice, right? We're going to hold the line. We're going to be a church, uh, right? That that, that takes care of the uh, the widow and the orphan. We're going to be a church, right? That upholds the justice of trying to protect the innocent. We're going to be a church that speaks the truth of God's word, and we will be a one. And guess what is good? We are not the only ones. And I don't ever want us to get into that mindset. Elijah got trapped there once where he's like, I'm the only one left. And God's like, no, you're not. There's like 7,000 others of you. And I don't know if there's 7,000 others of you or others of us, but I know there are more. And so we can't get into the mindset that we are the only one, but we will be one. And here's the good news. As long as there are followers of Christ and there are churches that are willing to stand and to proclaim the truth of the gospel, then there is hope for for, for revival and transformation. And so let's just keep being the one. And you keep being the one. And by the way, you might be the only one in the circle that you're in. And I know some of you feel that. You're in the school or you're in your family and you're the only one left. And can I tell you something? Be encouraged, be strengthened, um, get yourself right with God. That's why every morning you have to wake up. You got to get your, yourself into the word of God. You got to spend time in prayer and you got to go out when you go out ready to be the one wherever you are. That's on you. And a lot of times people, they, they want to look for motivation. They want to look for motivation from, from a pastor. They want to look for motivation from, uh, you know, from the, the tape they're listening to. Uh, tape. Wow. The pop. Okay. Um, the podcast, whatever. <laughs> okay. Uh, podcast, whatever it is. Can I tell you something? All of those things are good. But if you can't find motivation just in the word of God and prayer, you got some work to do in your faith. Okay. Because this right here and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you is enough motivation to get you running. 
to get you running. That's why you're in the Word of God every morning. All right? We need some runners to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, looking and taking note, searching our squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice, one who seeks truth, that I may pardon her. Right? He's saying what? Saying that I might, that I might, might let my forgiveness rest there. And, and, and we would look at this and say, uh, does sin have an effect? Oh, it does. It does. And there's an element right now that we're saying, God, would you pardon us as a nation? Would you, would you forgive us that we have allowed it to move this far? Would you forgive us that we, have, that we have allowed it to move so far that we are actually going to vote as a state whether or not it is okay to kill a child up to nine months? Would you forgive us, Lord, that we have allowed it to go this far? Would you pardon us, Lord? Would you see us as a people of truth? And would you pardon us? Would you stay your hand, Lord? And would you bring forth revival instead? That's our prayer. That's the prayer of being a one or being the one that does that. And let me tell you what the opposition is going to be. And this is a sad state. It's a sad state that the opposition, we, we know there's going to be opposition from the world, right? Like that one's obvious. We know there's going to be opposition from the world. Uh, but we're seeing a new type of opposition come forward. Here's the new type of opposition. It says this. It says, though they say, as the Lord lives... Yet they swear falsely. Wow. Do you see that? You see what the, the scriptures, the word of God, do you see what it's saying the new opposition is going to be? It's not going to be people who are rejecting God. It's going to be people who are proclaiming or professing that they're on God's side. He's saying, you're going to show up into some of these squares and you're like, oh my goodness, there's one who's speaking the truth. Why? Because they're going to say, as the Lord lives. Whoa. Oh, and isn't this so true right now? It's not just the presence of a world opposed to the gospel that is the reason for the decay of our nation. It is the presence of a church that has gone weak and woke that that has resulted in the decay of a nation. It's people who are proclaiming and professing, no, as the Lord lives. Let me give you a couple of examples. Here's how I know one of our mailers is working. Not just because people show up on that Sunday, but because I get a lot of good hate mail beforehand, okay? Which makes me very excited that this particular one is working. We've got a couple of fun emails, all right? We got a new one-star review on Google, amen? All right. I'm telling you, I'm printing a shirt. It's going to say, Redemption Church, one star. <laughs> Somebody actually told my dad the other day, they said, so what ended up making you come to Redemption? He said, honestly, we read a lot of the Google reviews, then we got to the one star reviews, and we thought, that's probably our place. <laughs> Somehow my phone number is on the internet. We can't, I don't know, we can't get it off. So somebody called and left me a nice voicemail. And in the voicemail... Um, they made it very clear before they used a lot of swear words <laughs> um, that they were a Christian, right? Yes, and they made it very clear that they wanted to not come across as a jerk. Okay, um, <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing, by the way. We live in a false narrative. One of the false narratives that the world is capturing right now is this. 
that we should just erase all of the Ten Commandments and replace it with this one. Thou shalt be nice. That the call of the Christian is simply to be a nice person. And we hear a lot of people say that it is the rhetoric, okay, of the church that is the problem. People love to blame some hypothetical church that I'm not even sure exists as the problem in our world. And so what happens is people will say, no, 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 if the church was nicer, if the church was this, but in these types of phone calls that I get, by the way, and the way that it ended was this, he said, all of the stuff on your mailer is a bunch of lies. By the way, if you're watching, I can't take you off of the mailer because you didn't leave your address. So if you call back and you leave your address, I'll take you off of the, the mailer. Also, if you call back, I'd love to chat with you and you are experienced, the, or you are welcome to come to church. We would love to have you. Tom will take you out to dinner afterwards, okay? <laughs> now, and if you come next week, you get coffee, okay? All right. And we would love to have him at church. Of course we would. Of course we would. But no, this, this phone call, the emails, everything else, it always reveals what's really going on, friends. The world will say that they hate, hate the rhetoric and the posture of the church as an excuse to reject the message of God. They'll say, oh, it's the, it's the messaging and it's the rhetoric. That's what it's really about. And, and if we were nicer then everything would be okay. And, and, and so let's just get nicer and nicer and nicer and nicer. And what we have then instead is a church by and large across the nation that got really, really nice. Really nice. And as we got nicer and nicer, nicer and nicer as a church, and by the way, niceness uh, uh, to the world just simply means eventually you have to agree with me. That's what it means. And the moment that the nicest person in the world doesn't agree with the world, they will just create another reason why that person isn't nice. Oh, they're just so arrogant in their niceness. Don't they just kind of like gross you out how nice they are? Why? Because darkness hates light. That's why. Darkness hates light. And in our quest to become the nicest church, uh, uh, the American church, in its quest to become the nicest church that has ever existed, we have allowed a nation to fall into the, uh, the pit of hell. This is where niceness has gotten us. I think the era of niceness needs to be over, and the era of truth needs to begin again. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. And let me say this. Niceness has never won someone to Christ. Only the gospel has won anyone to Christ. And the gospel is a proclamation of truth. A proclamation of truth. Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. That's one example. Another example of this one, and I would say we gotta be careful about this one. Friends, more than ever, you and I, we have got to know the word of God. 
We've got to be able to identify it for ourselves. We have to know that which is true. We have to trust the, the sources that we run off to. Because here's the second tactic that we're seeing. Uh, I mentioned Andy Stanley. Uh, we're seeing him do this. Uh, and if anyone had any questions anymore on where he was, he's completely off the deep end, okay? That one's been settled. And, and here's, the new, here's the new trend you're going to see. Okay, and I, I saw this on Facebook the other day. Somebody sent me a screenshot, and it was like, do you know people are talking about you on this random Facebook post? And I said, I did not know that, but that sounds very intriguing, okay? And uh, it was a post that I had made about issue one, um, and, uh, and then I got on there, and I was reading the comments, and uh, one of the comments said this, Stephen Whitlow is beyond problematic, Okay. And I thought, wow, if being beyond problematic means that I'm calling a bunch of Christians who don't have the guts to stand up and protect life courageless, then I will gladly be beyond problematic, okay? Like, totally in. Totally in. All right? And if, um, if the Christians who want to change the Bible don't like me, I'm also okay with that. Okay, because the new line of thinking is going to be this: the the new the new um, as the Lord lives, the new round of this uh, in, in, in the olden days, right? When Christians went off the theological deep end, they at least had the honesty to admit that they went off the theological deep end. And they would say, yeah, I just no longer believe the straight line of truth. In our new age of deception, what's going to happen is they're not going to fall off the, the, the straight line of truth. Well, they are, but they're going to say that they're on it. This is new, and this is scary. This is why you're going to have Andy Stanley standing in front of people and saying, no, I am teaching biblical Christianity. No, you are not, sir. Not, it is, not at, as it has been defined and understood for 2,000 years. And what's going to happen is there's going to be the emergence of Christian denominations, Christian pastors, Christian preachers who don't want to abandon the label of Christian. Instead, they're going to rewrite the interpretations of the scriptures in their entirety. And they're going to say, we are the biblical Christians. Friends, this is why we have to know the word of God. This is why we have to be able to identify that which is counterfeit and that which is a lie because it is going to get harder and harder, not easier. This is a new tactic of the enemy. He's so cunning, is he not? Did God really say? Okay, he's kind of been up to it for a while. All right, just a little bit. Did God really say? He's going to come after. They're, 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 they're going to phrase it like they're one of us. Listen, we want them to be one of us. And they are gladly, they're always welcome to come, and they're welcome to hear the gospel and be changed. Okay? But just because, let me say this another way. Just because somebody professes Christian, just because it says Christian on the website, just because it calls itself a church, just because it calls itself a denomination, just because it's in the Christian section at Barnes & Noble. By the way, I would tell you, if you walk into the Christian section of Barnes & Noble, just be super careful. I walked in there the other day, and I was like, maybe two of these books are actually Christian. I don't know what the rest of these are, okay? So just be careful when you walk in there. As the Lord lives, they're going to profess Christ. Just because they profess Christ does not mean that they are of Christ. Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. In other words, they're lying. They're lying. They're lying. 
They're lying when they say these things. They're lying when they say that the Bible is always um, ha, ha, that, that, that the Bible uh, has always made uh, an avenue for homosexuality to be a sin. They're, they're, they're lying when they say that the Bible is absent on the issue of abortion. They're, they're lying uh, when they say that, uh, that, that heaven and hell has never been understood the way we understand it uh, right now in our culture uh, and that God's going to rescue everybody at the end. They're lying, they're lying, they're lying. And we have to be aware of that and we have to watch out for it. Now, look at what the Lord is doing instead. It says, oh Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for truth. God is out there, and he is looking for the truth. Uh, Reagan and I watched another uh, old movie. It's called Richie Rich. You guys remember this one? Uh, It came out in 1994, I think. Unbelievable movie, right? And uh, there's this thing in there uh, where there's this really modern technology. It's basically a cell phone, okay? And it it goes and it finds dad wherever he is, right? And so it does this whole, like, satellite reorganizing thing, all of that. And then, like, the bad part the movie, it gets to the end, and then it yells out, dad not found, dad not found, dad not found, right? Right now, uh, God is up in heaven, and he is looking for truth, and the truth link, I believe, is God looking out, and unfortunately, God is resting out, and his eyes are looking out, and falling upon both individual followers of Christ, falling upon churches, falling upon denominations, and the only conclusion that God God could draw is truth not found, truth not found, truth not found, and there was a time when and every Christian and every church has to ask themselves the question, would I rather get the applause and the gazing eyes of the world and not have the Lord stop on me? Or would I rather have the Lord, when he's looking for truth, rest on me and have the eyes of the world turned against me? I would much rather take the latter. And friends, we must choose that route. That when the eyes of the Lord are looking out, they will rest on you and there in you and there on this body of Christ, they will find truth. He will find truth because that's what he is looking for. Now the world and the human heart has a tendency and here's what it is. It is to reject the correction of the Lord and we do this in uh, two ways. Way number one, it says, you have struck them down but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. This is not a picture of our society. The 60 to 70% of people who have professed faith in Christ or who would say, oh, no, I'm a Christian, presented with the truth of God's word, look in and go, No, no, I won't be corrected by that book. It's outdated. And by the way, some of us who would nod our heads this morning, you have done this in your own heart. And I have laid out biblical sexuality. I have laid out biblical financial stewardship. I have laid out what it looks like to not love the world, but to love and seek first ye the kingdom. And your face has gotten hard as a rock. Repent, repent, repent. Walk back in to the good graces of the Lord. Allow the gospel to break in. Because if not, what? It'll just keep bouncing off, bouncing off, bouncing off. And I'll show you in a second the long-term effects of that. 
It is not good. Sin does have an effect. Do not believe the lie of the enemy that sin has no effect. It dies. And so as a nation, as individuals, as churches, refusing to take correction. And that is part of the tragedy of the day, is it not? That you can have conversations with people who are professed brothers and sisters in Christ. And you go, well, what does our book say? And you, we look into it and they go, yeah, I just don't believe that anymore. Or, well, no, that's not what it really means. Well, then where do you go? Like if we can no longer rally around this book and what it has meant, meant for 2,000 years, then, then, then where do we go? What will, what will change us then? And that's why we have to go back to the Word of God. It's why we have to go back to letting it change us and why we always have to stay pliable to the Holy Spirit and allowing the gospel to change us first. Here's the second warning that he gives us. It comes a couple of verses later. He says this, They have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said, He will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. The prophets will become winged. The word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. You see what's, what this is saying? Uh, it, it, it's the, 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 the hypocritical church and the hypocritical nation saying, no, 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 don't listen to the people who are running to and fro. Don't listen to the people who are sounding an alarm saying, no, 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 we're abandoning the straight line of truth. Don't listen to them. The word of God is not with them. Uh, the word of God has left them. The word of God is now with us. Uh, just ignore them. Don't listen to them. Why? He, they say this, God will do nothing. God will do nothing. Let me, let me summarize this. Uh, it, it's the Christian saying, you know what? I can just go keep living in my sin. It's not that big of a deal. God will do nothing. It's the church saying, we can just keep uh, not preaching the truth of the word of God. Uh, we can just keep uh, uh, loving the world uh, more than, uh, than we love the Lord. We can just, don't, don't worry, God will do nothing. It's a nation saying, we can continue to move the path that we are. It's not a big deal. Don't worry, God will do nothing. God will do nothing. You know what this is called? Uh, a lot of people, Bonhoeffer made this term famous, cheap grace. It's called cheap grace. And unfortunately, uh, Christians and churches and a nation has subscribed to cheap grace. And, and cheap grace manifests itself out in two forms. One form of cheap grace is this, that because of grace, I can sin and it won't have any consequences or ramifications. And grace has got me covered, and so I can do whatever I want. That's one uh, idea of cheap grace. The other idea of cheap grace, I think we've adopted this one too uh, as a nation, is this, uh, that uh, what grace does is it covers me in my salvation, so I don't have to go to hell, but it would not compel me to do anything else. And so, yeah, no, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Uh, and so I don't, I don't need to worry about what's happening in the world. I don't need to care about the, the state of the church. I don't need to care about a state of a nation. I don't need to care about sin on the rise. I know I'm, I'm covered by, by God's salvation. I got my salvation. I'm okay. These are two applications of cheap grace. And this idea, this perspective, it is rampant. And the scriptures told us that it would be. 
That Christians and churches and individuals would get to a place and they would say, uh, they would not take correction, they would refuse to repent, right? And then they would say, don't worry, it's not a big deal, God will do nothing. What a scary phrase. Is this hard to imagine, by the way? Is it hard to imagine throwing up uh, 20 modern Christians uh, and, and saying, hey, uh, what do you think God will do uh, if, uh, if we sit around and do nothing and let babies be slaughtered? Oh, nothing. What do you think we'll, we'll do if we just totally throw out God's standard of marriage and let rampant sexuality happen uh, without any check from the church? Oh, nothing. I mean, it's actually not that hard to imagine a, a world of Christians saying this thing. You know why it's not hard to imagine? Because God told us it would happen. And it is. There's good news at the end. Are there any consequences to this? Grace has just got us covered, right? No, let me give you a couple. I had five. I cut it down to three. And some of you, by the way, you're new around here, and you're like, wow, this is a little meaty. And maybe you've been used to going to church and getting Skittles and popcorn. We will make a carnivore out of you if you stick around long enough. Three consequences of sin. Number one, it withholds good things from us. Jeremiah 5.25, your iniquities have turned these away and your sins have kept good from you. Everybody loves the idea of God as a good father. I love the idea of God as a good father. It's beautiful, isn't it? It is. We love it when we think about how much he wants the blessing give us. But let's apply it across the board. What does a good father do when his child is disobedient? He corrects him. He instructs him. And sometimes he withholds him from being able to watch Blippi for the hundredth time. Okay? If you don't know what Blippi is, just praise God that you don't. <laughs> Deuteronomy 31, 17. Then my anger... Oh, in the new world, in the new Christianity, God is never angry. He's never angry. He's the nicest dude ever. Never ang- He's never gotten angry once. He's never flipped a table when he saw religion getting angry. He never said woe to the Pharisees over and over again because they were lying about the genuine nature of faith. He never sent a flood to a world that was caught up in sin. He never sent fire and hell down from heaven to consume Sodom and Gomorrah. He would never do that. He's never angry. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. What day? On the day. When churches and leaders stand in front of their congregations and tell them or refuse to tell them because they have no backbone that abortion is wrong on that day. 
His anger will be kindled against them, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured, and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? As if it might be possible that if we fall so in love with sin, we might get to a place and go, wait, where did God go? Maybe he left when we stopped preaching the word. Maybe he left when we exchanged the truth for a lie. And did it over and over and over again. Isaiah 1.15, number three. When you spread out your hands in worship, and it should make you sick, that right now across our nation, there are people spreading out their holy hands or their hands in holy worship. And as they're doing it, they are affirming and denying blatantly and publicly God's standard. He says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. And I know some of you, you want me to pray with you after service, and I will. But the problem is not that the right person isn't praying for you. The problem is if you continue to walk in your sin, God's probably not going to deliver that thing until you deal with the thing right in front of you. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. It doesn't matter how many times you ask. Why? Your hands are full of blood. Metaphorically, your hands are full of blood because your sin put Christ on the cross. Practically, your hands are full of blood. American church, your hands are full of blood. Ohio Christian, when you vote yes, when you, uh, when you promote abortion, when you influence other people to do it, and I would say this, your hands are full of blood, pastor, when you do not have the spine to stand up and say something. We are talking about the lives of the most innocent among us. Speak up. By the way, I know this. I've heard it, and I've heard people say it to me, that we at this church are just riding a trend. We're riding a trend of political engagement. We're riding a trend of bold speaking. We're riding a trend of, um, of, uh, of the problems with the world right now. We're riding a trend, and it will crash, and it will burn, and maybe that will happen. But let me tell you this. The proclamation of biblical truth is not a trend. It is not a trend. It is the absolute job of the church. And maybe right now, the trend gears us into a particular direction. 
And if you're just getting in love with the fact that I'm talking more political engagement right now, in 10 years from now, that might not be what we need to do. But what we will always need to do is to proclaim the truth of God's word. That is not a trend that ever needs to end. Okay? Says, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So what's the antidote? Well, if cheap grace got us here, only real grace will get us out of here. If cheap grace is the problem, real grace is the solution. So let me take you to Romans real quick. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought out of something. The first part of this verse is an indictment to any gospel. It is an indictment to any preacher. It is an indictment to any perspective that somehow thinks that the proclamation of the gospel will not lead people out of their sin. It is a massive problem. And one of the the dangers and the the despairs uh, of the modern church is we get people into our doors. And when you proclaim a cheap grace, instead of telling them that they can be set free from that sin, we tell them to be okay in that sin. And we tell them, or we let them, to let sin reign in their mortal body. It's okay. No, 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 you don't have to understand it that way anymore. You can have both. No, he says, sin will reign and you will obey its passions. But instead, what? Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Why? Because in the real gospel, sin will have no dominion over you. The gospel is not you can come and you can come in your sin and you can stay in your sin because grace has covered you. The gospel is you can come and the gospel will explode in your heart in such a way that you will be free from that sin. It will have no dominion over you anymore. The power of the gospel in a nation is that we can be set free from this. And that in, the, in, a, in a church that has gone astray, in individuals, that we will become instruments for righteousness. Where sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, you are now in grace. And I know what some of you are thinking. You are thinking to yourself, I have tried grace before. Stephen, I've tried it. I've tried grace And I want to tell you something. If what you tried was cheap grace, and here's how you can understand it. Cheap grace is is when you think uh, cheap grace or the absence of grace is when uh, when you think that uh, that your call to faith had no compulsion on you to transform. Uh, when, uh, when, When you thought that grace was your church attendance, when you thought that it was your morality, when you thought that it was you earning your right standing from God, when you thought that if you just did these right things, if you were a decent person, then you would be okay, then you're fine, and you got your get out of jail free card. If that's what you tried, let me tell you something. That's not grace. You tried something, but that's not what I'm talking about here. See, grace is not something you try on. 
Grace is not a new pair of clothes. Grace is not a hat and you're trying to see if it fits. Grace is not a new car that you're taking for a test drive. Grace is a moment when the truth of God's word, and that means your inability to earn your righteousness, but the incredible, amazing love of a God who saw your sin, and though he saw your sin, he still went to the cross and he conquered the grave and he rose out of it and he poured his salvation into your heart, not because of anything that you have ever done or will ever do. When that moment hits you and it explodes in your heart, that's grace. That's grace. And if you haven't tried that, if that's not what's happened, then that's not what I've been talking about, okay? And then you have not yet experienced this because when this grace hits you it will do two things one it will make you run from your sin you will be disgusted by it you will hate it you will not want to hold on to it you will not make an excuse from it you will depart from it as quickly as you are able and the other thing that it will do is it will take you from being a passive apathetic inactive person and it will stir up the very best out of you to see god's righteousness reign in this world that's what will happen that's what will happen when grace hits you like that and here's the good news we have a church across our nation that is fallen but there is a solution and it is the message of the gospel it is grace coming in and wrecking every heart again and that my friends might not sound nice but it's the actual thing that will work and that's what our world needs. My friend, I'm calling all of us to be these agents of righteousness, instruments of righteousness. You be the one. Where does it start? What's God calling you to repent from? I'll hit it one I hit again last week. Sexual sin, financial sin, apathy, whatever it might be. Let the gospel come in again. Let it break in. Church, let's be an agent and an instrument of righteousness. One thing you can do this week, be bold. Fight someone at church. Whoever God will put in your way, whoever God will put in your heart. Let's fill this place up tomorrow or next week. Tomorrow's fine too, all right? Let's pray. Father, we have said a lot and my voice is gone. Make it happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. For more information, you can visit Experience Redemption on Instagram or Facebook for updates, service times, and ways you can get connected. Want to partner and support the work of Redemption Church? You can give online at experienceredemption.com slash giveonline to explore your giving options. We also stream services on both YouTube and Facebook Live, so be sure to join us and share your experience. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We will see you soon.